Good morning. What a wonderful day. This is a day to declare the goodness of God. This is a day to declare the deliverance of God, to declare the protection of God, to declare how awesome he is. It's good to see you here this morning. And those of you that I can't see on Zoom, I'm glad you made it too. Uh, Everything's gone pretty well today. Nobody has fallen over. Nobody had temperature. And so if everything stays good, we'll meet again next week. Uh, I get to share today. Four weeks I've been waiting. Uh, You know, we're going to get to Exodus, but I want you to just turn to Deuteronomy 7 with me for a minute. You know, it's, it's easy in the Old Testament to miss the heart of the Old Testament. It's easy to see the law. It's easy to see the rules. It's easy to see the judgment. And before long, we've created this fire-breathing dragon of a God whose eyes are just waiting to find somebody to mess up so he can zap them. And when we do that, we miss the heart of the Father. We've been talking about meeting God and how to meet God and where God is at to be met. And the picture all through Scripture of God wanting a place to meet with his people. And we're going to see this morning, for some, that's a scary proposition. And I think it's because we miss something. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, this is God talking to Israel. And he says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. This is a people that had messed up, that had grumbled, that had complained, that had griped, that had resisted, that had balked at obeying God. And God said, this is a holy people to God. That's my perspective of you. This is a people that God said, go on, I ain't going. And Moses interceded, and God said, my presence will accompany you. And God says to them, You are a holy people to God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, out of everybody here that I could have picked, out of everybody here that I could have chosen, I picked you. And then he goes on. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. He didn't choose them because they were great. He didn't choose them because he saw this greatness, and he said, I can use this greatness. That's one of the misconceptions we have about who God chooses. We look at somebody and we say, boy, aren't they talented. Boy, aren't they great. Boy, aren't they wonderful. God can sure use them. 
And God says, I don't choose you because you're great. I don't choose you because you're wonderful. I don't choose you because you're talented. He says, for because the Lord loved you, that's why he chose us. That's an expression of grace. There's no law there. There are no rules there. There's no effort by man to attain that. God just says, I picked you and I love you. And because I love you, I chose you. And it just continues to go round and round. I chose you. I loved you. I loved you. I chose you. And there's that relationship that's established. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to the forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, here's the picture that we're, we're trying to paint here. Israel is in captive to Egypt. God says, I'm going to deliver them, and he does, and you know that story. And he delivers them out of Egypt, and the first thing they do is they go out in the desert. And what should have been an 11-day walk from Israel to Canaan ended up being 40-plus years. And they came out of Egypt, and they stopped at this mountain. And it was there at this mountain that they had this wonderful meeting with God. And as you look at this, you see what we, the confirmation of what we said the other day. God has always desired and provided a place to meet with man. God has desired a people. He has desired a place. He has provided a people, and he has provided a place. Because it, had it been their strength, had it been their greatness, had it been their number, had it been their ability, they would have gotten the glory for it. And they would determine to say, look what we did. As a matter of fact, God cautioned Israel and he said, now whenever you get over there in the promised land, and I'm going to paraphrase, and you get fat and sassy of all the good stuff that's in the land, don't make the mistake of thinking it was because of your strength and your hand that got you here. It was me and my power all along. And he said, I chose you and I brought you out of slavery from the hand of Egypt. God always has desired a people to meet and he's always desired a place to meet. And he has always provided a people to meet and he's always provided a place to meet. And here we see that picture. First place was in the Garden of Eden. God met Adam and Eve. That's where he walked with them. That's where he fellowshiped with them. That's where he spent time and became intimate. Even after the fall. See, we, we, we get part of the picture in our mind. Well, God banished them from the garden, and he put the flaming swords up there so that they couldn't get in. That was an act of mercy. That was an act of grace because God said, if I let you back in here and you eat the tree of life and the condition that you're in, you will live forever in this condition. Even that was mercy. Even that was the heart of the Father. And even after they had blown it, he sought them out. Where are you, Adam? Why are you hiding? I just want to meet with you. I want to still fellowship with you. You think you've provided what you need to hide from me. 
I have provided what you need to meet with me. And so he's always seeking out his people to meet with him and to fellowship with him. And they came out of Egypt into the desert. First place they came was this mountain called Mount Sinai. And if you look with me in Exodus chapter 19, we begin to get the, this picture. Exodus chapter 19 in verse 1. It says, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So they've come out of Egypt, and they've been in the desert for three months. And they come to this mountain. And when they set from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Why did Moses go up to God? Because God called him. God was pursuing him to come up and meet with him. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings. For what purpose? I bore you on eagles' wings. I carried you out of this captivity, and I am bringing you someplace. Where is it at? Look what he says. I brought you to me, to myself, and brought you to myself. He's provided the means. He's provided the way. And he says, I brought you out of that captivity in order for you to meet with me. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Does that sound like it's condemning? Does that sound like it's judgmental? Does that sound like he's there pointing out everything that they've done wrong? He said, no, I chose you and I brought you out to meet with me. And if you'll obey me, everything that you need will be provided and you will be my people. You will be a chosen people. That's good news. That's a good word. They'd been in captivity in Egypt. They'd been starving to death in Egypt. They'd been worked to slaves in Egypt. Now they're brought out and God says, I'm bringing you to myself because in my presence, there's more than you ever imagined. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and says, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. We take it. Yes, we're in. We're in for this. We want to be a part of that, and we'll obey whatever you tell us. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud. Why did he say that? Why did he make that picture? Here's why he says, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. He wanted Israel to hear him. He came to them that they might hear him so that he could speak with them. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. 
The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, I want you to, there's some things in here that you need to take note of because you're going to see them later on. Here we're seeing them in the shadow, okay? Here we're seeing them in the type. But these are things that you're going to see in the reality later on. Now, he came back to him and he says, prepare the people. Prepare the people to hear from me. Where have we heard that phrase before? Prepare the way of the Lord. Who have we heard someone was commissioned to do that? Prepare the way of the Lord. What was he to prepare? He was to prepare the people. So here we see the shadow of that. Moses, go down and prepare the people. Wash them, clean them, stand back, don't touch anything. So it came, verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp. What for? To meet God. God was saying, here's the meeting place. This is where I'm going to be. Moses is bringing you out of where you are to meet me here. I have a place. I have a people. I want you to prepare the people. I want them to meet me. And Moses prepared the people to meet God. And they stood at the, at the foot of the mountain. Now the mount was in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet came louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What did he do? The Lord spoke to the Moses, go down, warn the people, not break through, but to be careful. Now, look with me in in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. People were there. They heard God speak. Moses came down with the commandments, and this is their response in verse 18, chapter 20. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. What was God's heart? God's heart to be near. God's heart was for them to be close. God's heart was to hide them under the shadow of his wings. God's heart was to gather them like a chicken does her biddies, her chickens, her chicks under her wings. Isn't that what Jesus said about Jerusalem? God cried to you, I wanted to hold you, I wanted to gather you in. And the people heard the word and they said, no, we're going to do everything you want us to do, but we're going to do it at a distance. We want to stay down here. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then Moses, they said to Moses, this is the, to me, this is the saddest verse in the Bible. 
Some people say, no, Jesus wept. Mm, he was in agony. He knew what was coming. These guys, I believe, made the worst decision any human being could ever make in their life. Here's what they said. Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, for we will die. And folks, that mentality has ingrained our flesh. Give me somebody to tell me what God wants. Give me somebody to go to God and come back and tell me what God wants. Give me somebody to give me instructions from God so I don't have to go to God myself. And that mentality, that perception is at the very heart of religion. All religion has somebody who goes to God to come back and speak to them. Every religion in the world has that, that, that uh, perspective. Even the Christian religion. Let the priest go do it. Let the pastor go do it. Let the bishop go do it. Let somebody else go do it. Oh, we're thrilled to hear what you have to say. Just don't force us or encourage us to have to hear God for ourselves. Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Here's what happened. Folks, listen. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Remember what John Wayne said? A coward is not somebody that's not afraid. A coward is somebody, I mean, a hero is not somebody that's not afraid. A hero is someone who saddles up even while they're afraid. Don't let fear rob you of the relationship with the Father. Fear of anything. Fear of death. Fear of the virus. Fear of, uh, of loss. Don't let any of that rob you from the intimacy that the Father has for us. Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, that in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Send somebody else. Go in my behalf. This is the first meeting place God established for his people right here on Israel. They just come out, been out 11 months. What was it, 11, 11 months? No. What was it, three? Three months, third months they come out. All right. Here they come out of Israel. They're there three months. They stay at the mountain 40 days, and they go right up to Kadesh Barnea. And here's what God said to, to Moses. Turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man 
whose heart moves him shall he raise a contribution. All right? And he says, uh, this is the contribution which you are to raise from, raise from them. And we've already talked about this. Uh, the things that people shared over the last few weeks has just been awesome. And somebody pointed this out, that all the things that, they, that Israel, Egypt, gave Israel, you have to understand, they, got, they were resistant to let Israel go. I mean, cheap labor. They're building all this stuff for them. They're doing all this work for them. They're slaves probably to every household in Egypt. And Moses comes along and says, let them go. And all the plagues took place in order to motivate them to go. And they moved from resistance to hesitancy to here, take our stuff, just leave. And they gave them riches. They gave them wealth. Egypt went from, let's hold on to them, to, well, let's consider it, to just please get out of here. We can't take your presence here anymore. Your God has already destroyed all of our gods. And we're going to give you gold. We're going to give you all of these things for you to just get out of here. And they left Egypt not as slaves, but as wealthy as any human being on the face of the earth. Now God calls for that. That was his purpose in providing that. I want to you to take an offering, take a, and here's the things I want you to bring, the things that you brought out of Egypt for you. Then in verse 10, construct an ark. Then in verse 17, construct a mercy seat. And then in verse 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now, what God's doing is he's, he's met Israel on a mountain. Now he says, I want you to prepare a house, a place for me to meet you, all right? And I want you to take up the offering so that you have the goods to do what I want you to do to build this place for us to meet. And he says, part of what I want you to do in this is build this ark. And, and it's, the ark was basically a box. It was basically a chest. And, uh, and then I want you to build the mercy seat. And if you ever saw Indiana Jones, you saw a very good depiction of the ark and the mercy seat. The ark was the box. The mercy seat was the top that sat on it with two cherubim with their wings outstretched on it. And God says, I want you to build that ark, build that, that mercy seat. And here's what he said about it in verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. Then I will meet with you. Just in the same way, he said at the mountain, I want to meet with you. Now he comes and he says, I want you to build a place because this place is a place where I want to meet with you. Between the cherubim, I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testament, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. What was the purpose of God building a new place? Again, it's a place to meet. God says, I want you to build this tent, this tabernacle, basically three parts, courtyard, holy place, and the holy of holies. I'm going to live in the holiest place there, seated between the two cherubim on the mercy seat. 
And boy, somebody had a great picture last week. I don't, I think it was last week. They talked about in the ark, they had the commandment, but here was the mercy seat. And the only way that God wants us to experience his himself is through the mercy seat, not directly through the law, but to see it through God's mercy that he gave us the law for a purpose to show us we can't keep his law and to fall on his mercy that he's provided for us. What a wonderful picture. All right, what was the purpose? I want to meet with you. Now look in verse 21 of chapter 25. We did that already. All right, look in chapter 29, Exodus 29. And he talks about the offerings that are there. And in 2942, he says, It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. And if you notice, those two things are quite often lumped together. I'm going to meet with you to speak with you. I'm going to meet with you to speak with you. The heart of the Father. Now, we miss it when we think all we're going to hear when we get there is criticism and judgment and failure and how sorry I am and worthy. Listen, that's not the, far, that's not the voice of the one who lives in the mercy seat. That's the voice of the accuser. That's the voice of the one who accuses us before God day and night. But he says, I want to meet you there to speak with you. I will meet there, verse 43, with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. This place was nothing, and we're going to see this in a minute. This place was nothing but a tent. That's it, just a tent, until, until God filled it with his presence. Then it became set apart for God. It became consecrated to him. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priest to me. Mark that phrase. Minister as priest to me. Now look in Exodus 30, verse 6. You should put the altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the ark of the testimony, where I will meet with you. Look in verse 36. You shall beat some of it, talking about the, the, the labor. You shall beat some of it with fine, you shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to me. Now look in Exodus 40. So God over and over says, the purpose of this tent, the purpose of this tabernacle is to be a place for me to meet with you and to talk with you. And there were some other things, and we're going to get to those later on that are very significant. But in Acts chapter 40, verse 33, Moses erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Now I want you to notice something. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 
16, 17, 18. 18 times in chapters 39 and 40, there's one phrase that is repeated 18 times. Here it is. Just as the Lord commanded Moses. That's repeated 18 times. God said, do this. Moses did that. And the assessment was he did it just as the Lord commanded him. He didn't just haphazardly come up with something and say, all right, God, here it is. This is the best we got. Come down and fill it. Everything that they did was under the instructions of the Lord. Moses didn't initiate anything, but he did exactly what God told him to do. And then the last thing that he put in there was the veil. And that was this awesome, thick, heavy curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. Then look in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Up until this point, it was nothing but a campsite. Up and all the all the stuff, the fine linen, the, the porpoise skins, the, the, the goat hair, the, the gold, the silver, all of the stuff in there. By that time, it was at that point in time, it was nothing but an elaborate uh, tent. That's all it was. But then God. Then the glory, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the timber, the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God commits his glory to this place. He commits his manifest presence to this place. He committed himself to this place, and he said, this is the place we will meet. This is the place I will speak to you. It's not up to you to do it anywhere you want to. You can do it anywhere you want to, but guess what? I'm not there. I'm here. You meet with me, we meet here. And what God was saying, when the glory of God settled on that tabernacle and dwelt in that mercy seat between the holy holies, God was shouting, I am here. Now think about that. Where's God? I am here. This is where I am at. This is where I will speak to you. This is where I reveal myself to you. And then he goes on and he says, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. And if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire on it by night in sight of all the house of Israel. Isn't that phenomenal? That is just phenomenal. From this place came all of the direction that they ever needed. Where are we going to go today? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Where's the fire? Where's the cloud? That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. 
I don't want to go anywhere that the fire is not there. I don't want to go anywhere that the cloud's not there. I don't want to go off on my own and then implore God to follow me. I would get us both in a fix. But he said the fire would settle by night. Psalms, we'll get to that in a little bit later on. Psalms gives two pictures. He says, here is the cloud by day is a covering. Now, the cloud, I don't want to get, I, I have a feeling that it wasn't just like this little cloud sitting up over the holy place. I think there was a cloud that covered all of Israel to block the sun. And there was a fire that resided by night to warm the coal. God provided, he directed, and he protected out of that fire and out of that cloud. God was saying, I am here. This, is, this, took, this took place after he had been roaming around in the desert. And God says, now this is the place I want to be. All right, now then, 40 years they're in the desert. And they've come back to Canaan. And they're about to cross over into Canaan. And God says, before you go into Canaan, let's have a chat. All right? And so God says, before you go across the Jordan River, you've been across the Red Sea, and before you go across the Jordan River, let's talk. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we find out God beginning to speak to his people again. Something that's about to take place. Uh, Let's get over there. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord your God, your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. Now watch. They've spent 40 years in Israel, I mean in the wilderness. They've spent 40 years. They roamed about a year, and then they spent about another 39 years in Kadesh Barnea, just going basically in a circle. And now, God, that generation died off. <clears throat> he brought them up to the Jordan River again. And he says, now, I want to tell you something before you go across the river. All right? I want you to understand some things. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on their hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down the altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. Don't take your cues concerning worship from what the world is doing. I don't want you to just let it rest, he says. I want you to destroy it because I know you, and I know the temptation will come to be to think you can improve on what I've given you. I know the temptation will come that you will have another agenda besides the destiny that I have for you. And I'm going to remove this temptation from you. I want you to destroy them all. Everything that's there. Don't take your cues from, don't take what they're doing 
and try to incorporate it into your worship in order to get them to come worship with you. Listen to that. That's important. Don't take what they are doing in their worship and try to incorporate it into your worship so that you can get them to come worship with you. Boy, that's happened all over the world. He says, don't do that. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. Something's about to change. Okay? They got this, this traveling tabernacle. I mean, every time they moved, every time God said move, they packed it up, followed the cloud, and then unpacked it. Every time he said move, they packed it up, followed the fire, and then unpacked it. And it was a mobile worship center. Okay, Everywhere they went, they packed it up. Now God said, it's about to change. And when you cross over to the Jordan, you are no longer going to worship at the place that I established for you in the wilderness. But you're going to worship at another place, a place that I choose. You see, it wasn't a matter of the place. It was a matter of the obedience. It was the matter of being obedient. I think there were probably some tabernacle lights. You know, well, I don't know. We can't do this without the tabernacle. We've got to take it over there and use it. God's done so much in this tabernacle. We've got to take it and keep using it. And God says, nope. Going to be a new place. Going to be a new expression of worship. Not going to be the tabernacle anymore. It'll be the place that I choose. It will be the place that I establish my name for the dwelling. And there you shall come at this place, at this place. All right? Why can't God just keep everything the same? It's just so much more comfortable because here's one of the reasons why. We will get to the place that our security will be found in the sameness and not in him. Well, he changes. No, he doesn't change. He's trying to change you. He's trying to change me. And right in the middle of this, they spent 40 years out there, about, you know, I don't know how long, I I hadn't looked up how long it actually took them to build it, but they came over three months, and then they got the instructions to build it, and they built it, and they lived with it for 40 years. And now God says, now we're going to do something different. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And God says, I want you to worship at the place I choose. There's going to be a new meeting place. And that's why I want you to come to meet me and to worship. All right, one more thing, maybe. Now, look in chapter 16, Deuteronomy 12. We just, uh, let me go back here. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5. You shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose for all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions of your hand, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today. 
every man what's right in his own eyes. I get that. God, we've gotten this concept that I'm worshiping God my way. It doesn't matter how you worship him. It doesn't matter where you worship him. Worship him your way. God's saying, I am not happy with everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. I have a place to worship. I have a way to worship. Everything else is anathema. Now, you shall not do at all what we're doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. When you cross the Jordan and live in the land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you may live in security, then it shall come about that the place is which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell, there you will bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithe, contributions, and all your choice votive offerings, which you will vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see. Don't offer it. Don't look for worship in all these other places. But he says, but in the place which the Lord your God chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. What's the What's the purpose for all of this? It just seems, if it, you know, it seems like it just gets so complicated. It just gets so weighty. It just gets so heavy. What's the purpose in all this? Here's the purpose. God wants to meet his children, and God provides a place for them to meet, and he provides a way for them to meet him. It doesn't get any simpler. That's been his heart from the very beginning. When, when Adam showed up with this fig leaf, okay? Now, I don't know how big the leaf was. I don't know how many leaves he had. But I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, look at me. Look what I did. The shame problem, I took care of it. I got a leaf. Eve, she got a leaf. She got a couple leaves. I got, we got leaves. And God looks at it and says, that ain't adequate. And he takes the skin of an animal. He says, put this on. This is what I provided. We always think we have a better idea. And God in his mercy and his grace always extends an invitation to meet and provides the means and the place for which we're to meet him. And that has not changed. Remember, all of this is the shadow. All of this is the type. It reveals a substance and a reality that all of this is leading us to and showing us to. All right? We're going to stop there because I've got about three times this much more. And uh, any questions about what we've covered so far? Joni? Hang on. Um, You said God provided a place to meet with him and... 
a means by which of meeting with him. A means by which of meeting with him. He didn't just say, I've got a place, come and do whatever you want to do. Well, I want to kill a chicken. That's not what he said. Any other questions? All right. Go back to your verses, the ones I gave you the very first week, Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, and look at those. Good to see you this morning. It's good to see everybody. This is good today. It's a little warm in here today, but we'll take care of that next week. All right, we will meet next week, 11 o'clock. Everything looks good. Any other questions? 10 o'clock. I'm sorry, 10 o'clock. All right, anyone else? All right, why don't we just pray? Father, we just thank you for the technology that we can include everyone in our meeting that wants to be here. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind to make choices to respond to your voice. And so we ask you to just continue to speak to us. Thank you for everyone that participated today. And we just bless you for being so good to us, for providing a way for us to meet. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.